I'm Jason Klom, and this is Comedy on Vinyl. The year is 1968. The album is uh, The Producers. Is it entitled Music and Dialogue from The Producers? Uh, the artist, of course, Mel Brooks. And my guest this week is Michael Kostroff. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure. I love chatting. Now, you and I have spoken on several podcasts. Uh, you're a glutton for punishment, and I appreciate it. <laughs> but I don't maybe remember. I'm just very, maybe I'm very lonely. Well, you Possibly. know, same. Same. Well, why do you think I podcast all the time? That's all I yeah, do. Exactly. Uh, and I did it before the the thing that's happening. The uh, so I don't remember when it came up, but you've performed in the producers the musical. Yes, seven um, times. Seven times. Seven productions. Seven. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. How many shows is that equal? Oh God, performances. Hundreds. Yeah. Hundreds. Holy hundreds. shit. Well, because okay. I did the first national tour. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure we did. I'm sure I was there for three, five hundred performances. They add up fast. Mm -hmm. And then I, I've done six regional productions of it. And uh, I think that's right. Yeah. And uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know how many performances. It's a lot of performances. Yeah. Wow. I okay. I didn't realize it had maybe, been that Maybe many. I've done my last. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. How, how, first of all, how old is Zero in this movie? I have no idea. You can play. Yeah. I mean, you could, th that is a character that has a weird range in terms of yeah. age. As long as you can like you just get it out there i mean i feel like anywhere from what probably 40s to fucking 90 if you could still sing and dance while you're 90 i feel like you could still play that part i um, mean i will just say that in terms of doing it all in one night in in the musical and singing and dancing and yelling and running around it's mm -hmm. herculean it's mm -hmm. a lot uh i love it i mm -hmm. love it because i at the end of the night you know you've worked it's mm -hmm. exhausting <laughs> i i seriously love it uh but at a certain age you go yeah, I don't think I need to do that anymore, but I'm That's probably fair. lying. I'd probably do it again if somebody asked me. <laughs> now, did you, am I remember correctly, you did play Max, or was it only Max, or have you played other parts? No, my first job in the in the first national tour, mm -hmm. I was in the ensemble. I okay. played, like, I believe I played 12 roles a night, <laughs> which I loved. Wow. Because I kept going. I kept coming back as different people. Like I was Holy a Bavarian shit. peasant. I was a judge. I was a guy auditioning to play Hitler. I was <laughs> Leo Bloom's boss. I, I, I okay. was a, a, a gay assistant to Roger Debris. Okay. I, it was a great job. And yeah. I understudied Max and I understudied Roger Debris. Okay. Okay. That and makes then after sense. that, I've, I've only played Max. I've done, done I, guess I, I guess I'm saying I've done six, six productions where I played Max and That's one where I understudied. Oh, God. Did yeah. you, had you seen the movie The Producers before you did the play? Oh God, yes! It's like it's like religion, Good. you know. I, I mean, it's, like, it's like you know. I, I grew up on Mel Brooks stuff. Uh, it was such a such an honor to be doing some doing that work for him and to getting to meet him. But also, it's like a language that I speak from from childhood. Sure, you know, rhythmically. Mm -hmm. It's the did thing you know that, that Mel Brooks. Say did again. you know that he was a drummer? Yes, yes. I yeah. I think people uh, hate me bringing it up, but I'm glad somebody else that wasn't me brought it up this week because uh, nobody's ever complained, but I feel like I bring it up a lot because it's fascinating to me. It's very important because his his rhythms are really important. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, sometimes say to us, no, the line is, ka -ka 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 -ka. and he would like give us the rhythm of it. I love <laughs> it. There's, there's few people who I'd want more to take a line reading from than Mel friggin' Brooks. Oh, absolutely. He had certain line readings that he loved. Mm -hmm. Did they? You know, like when you first first find the script, yeah, he he always wanted it to be, it's the mother load. Like that had, had to be like this low growl. 
I love it. He's he's I, I would love to know what his brain was like doing, because this was if I remember correctly, uh, and I could be getting my history wrong, but the producers started out. OK, the producers, I think, started out as a novel. Then it was going to oh. be a play. And every time everybody was like, no, this is not a fucking novel. No, this is not a play. He's like, okay, then I guess I'll make a movie. And he makes one of the best movies in 1967. And then 40 years later, it becomes uh, the producer's a mega hit. Yeah, the, the biggest hit. thing since uh, I don't even know. Had anything won that many Tonys when it hit? I don't think. I, I, fi- I don't think so. It was, I don't it, think so. It felt like a record. a record. Yeah, yeah, it was like 13 or something. 11 to 13, somewhere in there. It was a lot. A ton of them. Yeah. And and if we also want to talk about age discrepancies, I'm pretty sure Matthew Broderick was a solid 15 years older than Gene Wilder was when he played the role in the movie, at least by then. That's so, probably right. Yeah. You know, he's playing playing much younger than he had. Of course, playing up the voice because he still sounds like a young boy, which is yes. a bonus for him. Right. Uh, I don't know when I saw this movie. My mom wouldn't let me watch Blazing Saddles till I was older, but she let me see this. There's some stuff in here that you might not get if you don't get irony as a kid i don't know that the producers is necessarily the best because I, I don't think your mom was concerned about irony maybe not <laughs> maybe not it might have been one Blazing word saddles is filthy might yeah it's true and in one specific word she might have had a problem with and you know she knows i like to repeat things and don't entirely oh, understand yeah. why that's a bad idea and uh so maybe that's right. why that could be it she that didn't mind you know this is a little this is a little sexual it's a little randy it's a 1967 movie yeah, but uh, it's not uh, it's not filthy. No, 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 not at all. It's not naughty. All. It's a little yeah. naughty. Yeah, yeah. At, at most. <laughs> Did you, do you know how old you were when you saw the movie? Was this something your parents would have shown you, or you saw it on God, TV I, first? I don't. No, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Probably, <laughs> I'm gonna guess I was in my early 20s when I finally saw it. Okay. Uh, maybe maybe sooner. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, the real actually, my real my real comedy upbringing was the 2000 year old man series you oh, know of course of course you know i mean i, I listened to that so so much mm-hmm. so when i pick up the script to the producers i'm like oh i know what this sounds like <laughs> i know mm-hmm. i know i know how this goes you know <laughs> yeah uh yeah that, the 2000 year old man I, I you know quoted it all through my childhood as you should it's too good yes. it, it along with everything mel brooks did was like oh i I should have grown up Jewish as a kid. I really thought like I had to be Jewish to be funny. And I was almost <laughs> angry with my parents that neither of them were Jewish. Uh, but you know, uh, that's, uh, that's neither here. And what are you going to do? You can't really control that. But I, I mean, I, sidebar, I, yes. I grew up on soul music and I, 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 I was mad at my parents for not being black. So I okay. understand. So you get it. You totally get it. Something hits you in the heart. There's nothing you could do about it. I, I right. even, I, th- I think there was also, for me, there was like, there are elements of, of outsider, the rhythm is again not something I was used to until you know they exposed me to comedy that either was Jewish or had a Jewish influence. Definitely language. I didn't grow up with Yiddish, but as soon as I heard Yiddish and my mom explained to me what it was, I was like, "Oh my god, this is a whole language that I could I could figure out and learn," which I never did, but I would love to. Um, it's a funny language too. I mean, I don't. I wasn't. I wasn't beautiful. raised with any of this stuff, but it's, mm-hmm. it's the words are hilarious. Yeah, you know. It isn't that is such a weird that is a weird thing of uh, uh, at least of Jewish comedy of of recognizing, I mean I, I you know I've read some histories of Jewish comedy where part of it is like though the outsiderness is a part of it we're always exploring the outsiderness of it and therefore it's okay for us to explore how funny something that is our own language sounds to other people it is a very yeah. self aware fascinating approach to comedy. 
I agree. It's it's. I agree. Uh, I, you know, I think I, one of the one of the repeating techniques of the two thousand year old man mm-hmm. is dis, a disproportionate reaction. I've, I've I've taught classes on on comedy, and this is one of the techniques that I love. Like mm-hmm. they'll they'll say, um, well, my my favorite example of that is like, what's the greatest invention? Carl Reiner asked him in the entire history of going, "What's the greatest invention in all the history?" It's Saran wrap. You can wrap it in. You can put two plums. You can put three plums, and you wrap it up, and you can stretch it out. And he goes, "Well, how about uh, man landing on the moon?" He goes, "That was good." <laughs> so it's, it's the disproportionate reaction. Being thrilled about Saran wrap, and uh, you know, man landing on the moon was all right. It's okay. Oh, that was good. <laughs> this I may just have to write down that this is just an episode on everything Mel Brooks ever did, and I'm fine with that because he's my freaking hero. <laughs> Mel, you're welcome on the show anytime. I know you're not listening. Uh, still, you're welcome <laughs> on the show anytime. Uh, now that said, I've not been directed by Mel Brooks. What what was that experience like? Is it because you're the first touring company? He wanted to make sure you guys were as well prepared as as the show that's in New York. Well, just to clarify, he, he was yes. not the director. Susan right, Stroman was the director. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but he was there at every rehearsal, which was wonderful because mm-hmm. they, yes, they really wanted very much to replicate the success of the Broadway. And there's a lot, actually our, our production had a lot of pressure on it because they really wanted to make it as close to the Broadway as possible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, so in some cases they were like, just say the line like this, that we, it works. We've done it. It works. That makes um, sense. Okay. Yeah. That's weird. And, uh, um, uh, he, he was in, in, in the rehearsals and especially with the Max and the Leo. Mm-hmm. Uh, working with them all the time, yeah, and uh, it was great. It was it was great. As long as he was in the room, I felt okay. We're not fucking it. We're not fucking up his comedy. Yeah, you know, right? Oh, that's yeah. That's got to be yeah. That's got to be a weird pressure. I would be like, can we just have Mel here the whole time? I would feel much better if he's just here and just travels with us. What cities yeah. did you go to? What what was the general? What was the the loop you did? Where did you go? Oh, I, if I had the cover of my book with me, I could tell you that because I wrote a book about it. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, I wrote a book called Letters from Backstage that was about my time on the road. But yeah. off the top of my head, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Cincinnati, um, Tucson. Uh, um, this is not an order, of course. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, Detroit. God mm-hmm. help us. I, th- I think we went to Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it gets it gets glommed together because right after that I did Les Mis and uh, and visited other cities. But it, it was a bunch of cities. It was yeah, you yeah. know I think I I think I did seventeen cities with them, something like that. Okay. Um, um, San Francisco, mm-hmm. that was really cool. Um, yeah, we we went all over the place. I'm trying to think when uh, I because I saw it in I saw it in New York first, but I did not see the I saw Roger Bart as Leo. And God help me, who played Max? Was it uh, Brad Oscar? Thank you. It was Brad Oscar. I'm so yeah, sorry. Yeah, he's good. He's, he's wonderful. Phenomenal. And it's yeah. that was when I got. Here's the thing: you got your own experience. I think I may have mentioned this before, but where during the intermission, he just does that. Look, I know what you're thinking. Nathan Lane was better. He just gets it out of the way. It's such a solid <laughs> bit. It's so good. Made me laugh. And then I can't remember if they did it because I saw it in Chicago too. I did see a touring show in Chicago, but I don't know what year that was. Yeah. 2002 maybe I, I i had left by then because I, I, I went on to do les mis you wanted to do les mis you went from the producers to les mis is that just i mean that's what an actor does but was there any any part of your brain that couldn't handle that no i mean again it's a it's a story that i tell in the book which i i 
I, I, I recommend not because I need the money because it doesn't pay me anything, <laughs> but I recommend for anybody who wants to know what it's like touring with uh, Broadway show because it's, yeah. it's such an adventure. It was the adventure of a lifetime. Yeah. And, you know, we were in LA, uh, LA with the producers and I was feeling kind of burnt out. I've been with it a year. Everything in my body hurt. Mm. I decided I was done touring. I was back in the city where I lived and uh, that was it. Yeah. And then my agent called and said, Lemis wants you to join them. I'm like, okay. So, so oh it was, I was supposed to be done. Uh, and I jumped right from one to the other and two great shows. My God. Yeah. I mean, uh, I was delighted. I mean, I, I, I I'm a, listen, I'm a geek. I love my job. I feel mm -hmm. so, so lucky to do it. Yeah. So lucky. I can't believe that, that I got paid to do those shows. Uh, mm -hmm. and, um, and I loved going to work and I loved like like giving those gifts to an audience every night was mm -hmm. like with the producers it's like okay they don't know it but they're about to laugh here comes something that's going right. to guarantee kill them <laughs> yeah. you know uh, so no it was it, it was not a hard transition uh, mm -hmm. uh, the harder transition was from thinking I was done to getting back on the road with Lee Miss yeah, for sure for sure okay that makes it. it's interesting because those are two to in to some people's minds would be two ends of of a spectrum where one one to some is very highbrow, the other is very lowbrow. I obviously have a more nuanced view of it, but yeah, um, it's true. I, I was playing uh, one of the few comedic roles in Les Mis. Okay, but That's but something. still very dark and very much a villain. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, no, that's. Listen, I, I, I've had the great privilege in my career of doing some vastly different things. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> I mean, people who know me from The Wire can't understand what why they're seeing me doing the producers. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you course. know, that's half the fun. <laughs> ah, is is there video of you doing it? Because I would love to see you perform. Even There's probably bootleg video. There's probably bootlegs. Right. That's a good point. I should just look that up. Yeah, which that? I could not direct you to. But no, of course, it probably exists. <laughs> I need to hunt that down. The, the okay, so this record, first of all, one of the greatest covers I've ever seen. Oh, I mean, come good. on, yeah. so 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 good. Um, the back, by the way, has an endorsement by Peter Sellers. I think similar, probably to the endorsement that saved this movie. Some people don't know that this movie was saved because Peter Sellers took out a giant ten thousand dollar ad in Variety, saying this is the best fucking movie no one's seen. You need to go see it now. Yeah. Um, this might be it, the same text. It was though. not going to succeed at all. No, no, it's one of those, it's filled with, I don't know the perception of Zero Mustels at that point. I mean, I don't know if people thought his career was over. I don't know if it was the movie in general that people didn't like, or it was the fact that it was, the movie was going to be called Springtime for Hitler at some point. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what it was that killed it, but uh, if Peter Sellers, I mean, he did a lot of dumb stuff in his time, but uh, what, this is one of the best things he ever did was save this movie. Yeah. Holy yeah. cow. This uh, this is also this era that doesn't happen that often where there are um, there's dialogue on here. Lots of some of the best bits of the movie are in this. Oh yeah. <laughs> or do you have a favorite performance from the film, or a favorite segment, a scene, or anything from the the movie? Uh, several, but I have to think about. It. First of all, I uh, it, this is not going to be cutting edge or revelatory, but I, I love the two leads so much. Sure. And when I went on as Max, I I really tried to channel. Uh, uh, Channel Zero, mm -hmm. uh, even more than Nathan, because okay. I, I love the, uh, somebody once described his comedy as treacherous. He's dangerous. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He might hurt you. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, oh, yeah. And I love that insane intensity that he had. I just loved him for that. And uh, uh, what I loved about uh, Gene Wilder was that 
you really believed he was a guy with social problems who didn't like to leave the house. And that's so, so important in that story. Mm -hmm. Um, There, listen, I I love all the, I love the audition scene, you know, (laughs) where they they interrupt him and the guy says, uh, I'm sorry. He goes, you're sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I love those little, those little asides. I love when uh, Franz Liebkin says something like, uh, no, this is not working. You're, I'm not killing you. You must hold still or something like that. <laughs> um, what are your favorites? I mean, I, there's so Oof. many little, little quotable lines in that movie. My favorite scene, like when I first really got obsessed with this movie, God, I, I can't remember when I first saw it, to be honest. I asked you a question I can't answer earlier. That's but okay. I feel like I got obsessed with it in college where I was like, wait, why the hell didn't I watch this enough as a kid? And I even brought this scene with me to, I've only gone to two acting classes ever, but I brought my scene to this scene to one acting class. So I bring something in that's got acting you love. And I'm like, great, my teacher's going to love this. I picked the scene with the blanket, the little blue blanket, oh, the little oh, yeah. blue blanket. And I, you know, at that point, had listened to enough of the commentaries a million times to know that he pretended that the blanket was his dog mentally so that he could really get into not want, don't touch my blue blanket and do this whole bit. And my teacher's like, I like him, but the other guy's too much. And I'm like, the other guy, you don't like Zero Mostel? And it blew my mind because it's something that's occurred to me recently. You have vaudeville right here and you have actor studio right here. You have this weird passing of the baton that doesn't make sense, I guess, maybe to to certain audiences. To me, it's perfect. It was magic. I thought it was perfect. I thought it was perfect. You've got two guys who have totally different approaches. If you'd have given either of them the other part, too, I would have loved to see, like, what they did with it. Odd couple style, you know? But yep. it's two yep. different styles that, to me, work perfectly. It never occurred to me that it's two different styles because they are they're in the mm-hmm. same reality to me. A hundred percent. I mean, One. you know, someone once, uh, once said to me, I, I, he said, I like what you're doing as Max. What are you doing? I said, I'm doing Greek tragedy. Uh, the highest possible stakes. The... You know, it's funny because of the intensity of that. I've got to have that money. I have to have that money. And and, and the the unscrupulousness that comes from how high those stakes are. And I, you know, I'm like, it's not funny to Max. It's not funny at all. No. So so I I think, you know, there's some truth that this could be played with. And I think it's even funnier. Like I said, when when Leo is uh, really, really uncomfortable being out of the house and, and, and really uncomfortable with all this noise and stuff. It's, it makes it all work, work so beautifully. Mm-hmm. Did you ever read Gene Wilder's autobiography? No. Holy fuck. Uh, it, here's the thing. It is, uh, it, it will be triggering to some people in parts, but I will tell you if you're a person like me who has massive anxiety and you also have, um, you know, a, a desire to act and, and you have a creative side um, you'll read that and be like, it is very much, he never says you're not alone, but if you read everything that's going and you happen to have the same kind of OCD that he did, like, yeah. oh, okay. Okay. So this, it made me feel a little more ordinary because uh, I think yeah. he's channeling a lot of that, a yep. lot of that into Leah. Absolutely. He had a, a, a great, great, uh, stage to put it on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? He, in, at one point in the book, he's something like, you know, Oh, I, I felt terrible because I, I, I was I needed to spit and I went to go spit on the sidewalk, but there was a black woman walking by, but I was afraid if I spit, she thought I hated all black people and I didn't want to. And it was just this whole cycle and cycle and cycle. And like, oh, I've been there. Okay, yeah. I get right. it. I get it. And that's right. clearly OCD. He doesn't say it in the book, but I'm like, oh, that's OCD. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, it's a good book. It's fascinating. <laughs> I, I don't have OCD, but I have insane people pleasing 
which would cause me to do the same thing. Sure. Yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. I don't want people to think this. I don't want them to think of this. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. it's, it's like, wow, wow. Nobody's yeah. thinking that. Relax. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. yeah. Serious social anxiety. You get, to, you get to use this. I love, though, the Greek tragedy thing. I, I had not thought of that approach. What to... I mean is in, in, in the level of importance. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and it's, it's part of my philosophy in playing comedy is it's usually not funny to the character at all. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, making this like he's got to have a hit. He's mm-hmm. got to have the money. Mm-hmm really wants it uh, you know and we'll we'll fuck little old ladies to do it or whatever it takes but mm-hmm. but, but but then also when it starts to unravel it makes a case for why he's like ah losing his shit mm-hmm. <laughs> i think my favorite line in almost any movie is i'm wearing a cardboard belt oh that's, and i, that's I, I just something, i'm wearing a cardboard belt. just it's so visceral <laughs> i i like when, when leo says uh you can't shoot the actors. Actors aren't animals. They're human beings. And Max says they are. Have you ever eaten with one? It's so good. <laughs> it's oh, full of little ones like that. It is. They, and I feel like most of them make their way into this show, right? Most of the yes. best lines do. Cardboard Belt came and went a few times. Yeah? Because they, I think what they were doing was having him actually rip up a cardboard belt. Uh-huh. And they're like, it's not getting a huge laugh and we're buying all these cardboard belts. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. And it's my favorite line. And I don't know why I couldn't tell you could very well just be how zero Mustel sounds saying it. We're, we're therefore anybody else who says it, all I'm doing is picturing zero and I'm therefore very satisfied hearing him do it. Zero Mustel's just internal energy. Yeah. Was just God, one of a kind. We we've discussed on this show before. Uh, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, this record came out. Oh, actually, it might not have. I, I'll get the date wrong. There is a reading of The Grinch Who Stole Christmas by Zero Mostel. And if oh. you want to hear insane, frenetic, his own take on it, it's nuts. Ball to the wall, insane. Yeah. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, it's <laughs> I gotta, great. I got to find that. I have been tempted to take the <laughs> take the cartoon and just like carefully lay his over just so you hear blah, 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 instead of the, oh. the, the car Listen, loft. If you ever do that. Mm-hmm. please send it to me oh i'll send you the record i'll happily send you the mp3 of the record i, it's I out of print. would love it's it out of print and i don't feel bad it's not stealing if nobody can buy it you know what are you gonna yeah. do oh my god uh, that, that make me very happy uh a gay romp with adolf and ava in berchtesgarten <laughs> god damn it it's so there's just so much beautiful there's i feel like in the la- uh, well we're living in a strange time of course uh but a lot of people are like about Blazing Saddles. They'll be like, oh, well, you couldn't make that movie today. My argument, and I've heard other people make it, is you don't need to make that movie today. It's been made. That's why you can't. I don't think people are that sensitive. I think if they were that sensitive, the producer's musical probably wouldn't have succeeded because it's very much this. It's just placed in a different time period. Yeah. You know? Did is it supposed to be the 50s or the 40s? Yeah, I now 50s. can't remember. 50s, okay. Yeah, because yeah, they're like, eh, the hippie thing doesn't play. Is that mostly what it was? They're like, the hippie thing wouldn't play. and The hippie thing was was not the strongest part of the of the movie, I think. Right, right. Um, I, I, I like the revised plot in the musical where where, where Franz ends up playing Hitler. <laughs> yes. That's so good. Uh, Wait, no, no, no. Franz is supposed to play Hitler. Fra- and, and he breaks Debris his goes on. It's, all, it's very funny. I knew what you meant, though. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that whole... There, there... Uh, who plays again? I'm terrible with Broadway names, so everybody forgive me. Uh, who who plays uh, Debris in in the original? Gary cast? Beach. The voice that man's voice. Holy God! 
so funny. It's, and it, and it, it, it is, it's doing a bit of, uh, fuck, Mr. Belvedere, whose name I also can't remember. Uh, it's doing a bit of that, oh, but he has yes. his own thing. Yes. I, he, the, movie, the line that didn't make it from the movie that I love is when he looks at Leo and says, didn't I meet you on a summer cruise? <laughs> summer cruise. <laughs> so good. I got, I got to go on as Roger twice as well. That was fun. How was that? Oh, my oh, God. My, I is, got to wear the, the beaded Chrysler building gown and oh yeah oh, right so funny so fun <sighs> how weird is it though to dress up as hitler in any context i can't you know i will say this when we, when we first got to the dress rehearsals uh-huh and i believe those were real hitler uniforms or uh-huh. I, I, there was a moment that i was like okay okay uh-huh. all right but still, the whole thing is so fucking funny. It's, of course. Uh, you know, listen, I, I, I've had this. I was doing a production uh, at the Olney Theater in Maryland. Um, not the only, but the Olney. And um, there was a, a one-man protest, you know. Mm-hmm. And he wrote to me. and was like, how could you do this? Play? And I had, a, I had a, a good correspondence with him. And I said, look, I don't think Hitler would, would, would have enjoyed the producers. Right. You know? I, right. I, I, I think it's doing what it's supposed to do in making a mockery of him. Mm-hmm. And, and he was like, well, you don't know all the atrocities. I said, I know the atrocities, mm-hmm. but I think this is a really great protest, you know? Yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, I think people miss the point of things like that. It's, it, it's like uh, 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 All in the Family, which was about a bigot. Sure. He was making fun of bigotry, mm-hmm. you know? It walked a line, but it walked it well. It is one of those things that, to be fair, we are now living in a time where that line gets walked and then gets stepped over by people who want to be bigots and then excuse it by saying, oh, it's just a joke. No, you're just no, a troll and a racist right. piece of shit. That's right. Uh, that happens. So it then begun, then blurs a line where people who are doing genuine... Sat- you then have to like step back, take a few steps. Well, A, look at Mel Brooks's history. It's pretty. We know what's going on. That's yeah. you. That's you. Don't need to know much. He. I mean, I've, I, every time I've heard him interviewed about it too, about anything about Hitler, because he makes a million Hitler jokes. Is it's always just like, no. I, I, my goal was I want to do whatever I can to destroy this man's name in history, of basically. Course. And but there's nothing more noble than that. I mean, yeah, of course, it's okay to keep beating a dead horse. It's, he's a horse that deserves to be dead. Yes. You know, ah, oh, it's fa- It's fascinating to me though that you got. Was that the only protester or did it happen a few times or was this the one time? The only one I knew of. Okay. Okay. That is fascinating. I mean, again, I, I'm not going to judge somebody, especially if they went through it or their parents went through it. I, I, I can get the, the emotional, but, uh, you know, you had, you had your response, you know. I mean, you That's... know, it, it was very interesting when we were on tour. Um, you know, I guess there was some concern about people. No one was offended. People laughed. People loved it until we got to San Francisco. Where okay. the audiences were a little more reserved. Okay. Interesting. And uh, Lou Stadlin, Louis J. Stadlin, brilliant actress, actor, one of my favorite character actors ever. He was our Max, and I, I, I love him like an uncle. And he said, go figure, the liberals are conservative. <laughs> they weren't sure they wanted to laugh at. Yeah, right. You know, because it wasn't PC. But every place else, they were, they were, they were, they, were, they got it. They got that we were just like, yeah. you know, lovingly making fun of everybody. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, it's. I will admit, like, uh, I, I, I am super PC, and I, I try to be super aware of this stuff. I've never, and I then question, like, oh, well, if this didn't shock me, is there a reason? Like, what's going on? Is it something internal? Uh, 
I won't say that this excuses it entirely, but the fact that there are enough homosexuals co-signing the fact that there are that many gay jokes in it by being in it, yep. there's something there. I'll at least say that. Yeah. I, you know, and, and, and I know that's a stereotype, but they're, they're, uh, we know a few people who are in the show are gay. Uh, and, you know, uh, same with uh, the rest of it. I don't know. It's it's complicated. Same with, same it's with very Jews, complicated. Jews and black people and women and all of mm-hmm. that. We were all in the show. <laughs> and I, you know, none of it is mean-spirited, which I know is not always an excuse, but uh, I, I, I happen to I happen to love it. I, and it's, it's, it's also turning so much, uh, he, I know that Mel Brooks very much wanted to obviously pastiche and homage everything he grew up watching as a kid, because that was his, that was his weekend as a kid every, every year, uh, every week. So is, uh, I don't know. Was it fun for you as somebody who knows plays and knows musicals to sort of get to do, was it, was this, any of this a style you hadn't gotten to perform before in terms of performance? No, or? it's really my, I got to say, it's really my wheelhouse. Okay. It really is. And, okay. I, and I, I loved all of it. Um, uh, and yes, I got the things they were paying homage to. There's some sure. kind of stare, mm-hmm. you know, there's some, there's some, there's some showboat. There's, you know, there's references to a lot of musicals. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> What one version of the show long before it opened, uh, op- it opened on a, 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 a takeoff, a spoof of Oklahoma called Oh Nebraska. And <laughs> I, I think, I think in that version, the, at the beginning, you were watching this awful musical called Oh Nebraska. I, I wish I had seen that. Oh my god, that's but, so uh, good! That's a yeah. very meta way to open a show, that's yes, with so a bad show. Books. I just loved it. Damn it! I mean, I love you know, I love the opening number. Leave it to Mel Brooks to have the opening number be it's the worst show in town. Yeah, that's like I, so perfectly anti, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, but yeah, it, it it is an homage, and it, it, there's a lot of love in it, you know. Yeah, it's very very old showbiz in a way, and I, I yeah, I live for it. It's totally my kind of thing. When you're preparing for actually being in the show, had you seen it on Broadway already? No, I saw it during rehearsals. You saw it during rehearsals. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I, so. I was already rehearsing when I saw it. Okay, yeah. all right, that makes sense. Yeah. All right, that's so crazy. Wow, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, and then to go around and were you were you tour? When did it start touring? Like how soon after the show opened, or was it? Um, I think it was two thousand one that we okay. started touring. So probably a probably a year after the Broadway show. I think it was. Okay. I believe that's right. I'm I'm really bad with dates and numbers. That's fine. No, that, uh, you can't be expected to remember all that. No, that's uh, stuff. But uh, I think it was 2001 that we started the tour. I'm pretty sure that's true. Because mm-hmm. I, yeah, because uh, I did Les Mis in 2003 and 2004. I was on the road with the producers for a year, so something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe maybe we started rehearsals late 2001 and launched in 2002. I can't remember. Why am I even trying? <laughs> Let's skip back a bit because yes. obviously the show's called Comedy on Vinyl and you brought up the 2,000-year-old man. When did you first hear that? Is that something that was in your parents' house? Did your parents have a lot of comedy around or no? Yes, yes. That 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 uh, I, I, I'm sure I listened to it in, you know straight out of the womb <laughs> a, 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 a billion times. Yeah. What what el- what other stuff did they have sitting around? If you can remember, um, a lot of musical theater. I, I remember that they had s- this album for Sweet Charity and Kiss Me Kate and Hair mm-hmm. and uh, like a lot of musical theater is what I remember. Uh, a lot of Beatles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
uh, probably free to be you and me. Although no, I was born in the sixties. That would have been the seventies. I I don't remember. I'm sure there were other comedy albums. There must've been, Mm -hmm. Uh, but the Mel Brooks is the one that really, I really remember so clearly. Mm -hmm. I think, I think those were jokes that were easier to get for little kids than, than Mm -hmm. others, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and lots of jazz. My folks were real big jazz people. Mm-hmm. So that all sort of goes together in terms of this uh, of course. kind of musicality of the producers. Mm-hmm. Were yeah. your parents funny? I, I, I rarely ask that question, but I'm actually genuinely curious in your case. My father was very funny. My mother was not so much funny. Okay. Okay. <laughs> she, she, I, I, we'd, be, we'd have like a, a gathering and somebody would say something and everybody would laugh. And then about five minutes later, my mother would go, oh, that's so funny. what did they do for a living uh several things they they were i think they were jazz musicians when they met okay uh and then for 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 most of my upbringing they were in the film business on the production side uh production production manager um uh first first assistant director those kinds of jobs they were on the production side Mm um uh my father i believe was a drummer before that uh, yeah, she, my mother played stand-up bass. My father played drums, uh, and then they went into the film business. That's amazing. Are they on yeah. any records? Uh, no, they weren't that Damn good. <laughs> no. Good. Was, no. Were they, they perform- were, it was <laughs> were in the they? Beat, it was in the Beatnik era, so that yeah. was pretty cool. <laughs> well, I'm I'm kind of because of a certain comedian, my uh, comedian, I'm finally becoming obsessed with this era that I probably should have been interested in decades ago. That's why I'm just curious. Do they? Do you know what clubs they performed at, or what? Ah, I really don't. Son of a gun. That's funny. well, they because they they were. I think they were out of that game before they had kids. So okay. I, I, so okay. I don't know. That's interesting, you know. though. I always only hear about the comedian part of it. Rarely the musicians, unless they were musicians before they became comedians. You know what I mean? Like that's usually how it goes. I interviewed Lorenzo Music's widow a few months ago, and uh, they have a fascinating history. Fascinating history. Most I, people. I, he, he, I, I love Lorenzo Music uh, f- uh, for his part on on uh, Rhoda. Of course, one of my favorite things. It's great. Did you know he released a single as Carlton the Doorman? No. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> Wow, you got gems. <laughs> Co- co-written with her, because they had a comedy t- team together. Him and his wife were a comedy team for a while. Wow. Yeah. They also co-wrote the theme song to uh, the Bob Newhart show, which is one of my favorite theme songs of all time. Yeah. And I'm waiting for her to get back to me and tell me what the words to that song are. Because I'm like, you have to have written lyrics, because that's how you made extra money back then. I know that's a thing. She's like, we did. Let me see if I can find them. So I'm hoping. Oh, that's great. I want to know what they are. They're probably goofy. Oh, I, just like, summed up, I just summed up the melody in my head. I was trying to remember what it was. Right. Yeah, that was a good one. That mm-hmm. was a good one. I asked her, uh, I asked her, uh, is it I am a therapist and I'm going home to Emily? She said, no, that's no, not it. That's not uh-uh. it. <laughs> but I had to. I had to run it by her, at least. Uh, we've gone over your your favorite moments, uh, uh, at least one or two in the movie. What about in the play? Are there, and also I'd love to know about favorite moments in the play that went away and did not make it into the final cut of the show. As oh, well. uh Let's see. I, I, I'm trying to think of stuff that you wouldn't have been able to find out elsewhere. Uh, I, I love, uh, you know, in the opening number, King of Broadway, he's talking about how he used to be, you know, he used to be a big deal and now he's down in the dumps. And he has this speech where he says, uh, uh, you know, he talks about his mentor. Uh, yes. And he has a whole long Yiddish 
thing that he says, and he says, uh, and I don't speak Yiddish, but in my heart, I knew what he was saying. He was saying, when you're down and out, that's the time to stand up your, on your feet, two feet and shout, who do you have to fuck to get a break in this town? Which is a great line. It's so good. So when we went on the road, they were worried that that word was going to be offensive. And I'm like, <laughs> really? We're going to be doing it to a little old lady five minutes later. Right. But so they, 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 he, Mel Brooks wrote an alternative, which I actually thought was funny, mm-hmm. but it didn't work. He said, when you're down and out, that's the time to stand up on your own two feet and shout, I'm down and out. You know, that was pretty funny. <laughs> they tried that. They tried, yeah. who do you have to stroke to get a break in this I was going to say, all right. And, and the paper in Pittsburgh, in reviewing it, said, what, do you think we're too sensitive and delicate? to?" Have? <laughs> and it went, went right back in. Um, God, I mean, there are so many funny lines in that play. I, well, I love, uh, it's after Leo has freaked out and he's having a panic attack and he lies down on the floor and he finally has his blank back and Max goes, they come here. They all come here. How do they find me? <laughs> I love that. It's a good moment. How do they find me? Um, there are just a bunch of great lines in that show. I, 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 you know, uh, that could be an all day discussion. Um, I don't remember what else was cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I, one of the things that, that was cut from the movie that I, I wish would have been in was uh, one of the guys who was auditioning. This really high tenor voice. He goes, I was the leading tenor in the Albuquerque Opera Company. <laughs> and I was recently up for the role of the gypsy lover. And he says, what happened? He goes, I didn't get it. <laughs> Very good. Uh there's, There's so many good ones. I, I don't like, know if they're playing out of context. If somebody hasn't seen it, they're probably going, I don't know. <laughs> right, yeah, I know. It. It's like we're both sitting here remembering, yeah, I remember how that works. Yeah, that's a good bit. That's a solid bit. That's timed well. Yeah, I, I mean, didn't get it. <laughs> and he, that is a, I hadn't occurred to me, but obviously having the, he segments these scenes so perfectly, I think partially because obviously, yes, rhythm, we've discussed that, but also his sketch comedy background certainly helps just being like, oh no, this is going to be, this is basically the theater sketch. This is the audition sketch, you know? I think it helps compartmentalize that way. Yeah. You know? I think, yeah. I think it's one of the things that works. To be really honest, there are some lines in that show that are, they're not really funny on paper, but they are rhythmically funny. They, mm-hmm. You say it and you get a giggle and you're like, I don't really know why that was funny, but it's funny because Mel has just rhythmically set it up to be hilarious. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah. it's not really the content always. Right. You know, do you, did he or anyone ever translate the Yiddish for you that he says, because I, I can't find a proper translation because I don't know how any of it's spelled. That would be a part of the problem. No, um, no. I, I can't even remember what, what, how to say it. Yeah. Do uh, uh, you? Uh, I'm going to slaughter it. Maxila alamensimusimachen hayden tugagatsen kashen pishen pipikachen. Yeah. I have no idea what it is. I, I think it's, uh, I, I think some of it's not Yiddish. I'm uh-huh. pretty sure uh-huh. pishen pipikachen is just, <laughs> sounds like piss and pee and Right. Ta- right. Ta- 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 yeah, I don't remember what it means. I, I don't know okay. what it means. I should know. It's but fine. It might, it might be gibberish. It could be, right. I'm going to... Oh, well, I, I love that after all. It's so classic, Mel Brooks. <laughs> and so he says, what does that mean? Who knows? I don't speak Yiddish. <laughs> Strangely just, enough, neither did he. Neither did he. Uh, <laughs> see, here's the problem is if I'm doing it, I'm going to do it in Nathan... Like my brain goes into Nathan Lane mode because I've heard it a gazillion times that way. The, the, you, the, you could do worse. Nathan is funny. Oh, my God. So funny. 
brilliantly funny. Um, do, uh, did you have did you have to do any meta stuff like I mentioned earlier that happens in the, in in the break? Is uh, I know what you're yeah. saying uh, the, the Nathan uh, so, Lane bit. So in in for those who might be listening who don't know, mm-hmm. there's this song called "Betrayed" where Max is in jail and he's losing his mind because everybody has turned on him and he, he he recaps the entire show. It's it's a I love doing that song. It's mm-hmm. exhausting. Mm-hmm. The first time I did it was as an understudy, and when it was over, I looked at the cast upstage. I went, "There's more. There's more after that song. There's still there's still 20 minutes left of the show. Because mm-hmm. I mean, what else can you do?" Um, and in the middle, he's acting out. You know, this happened and this happened, and then he goes intermission, and he sits down on, the, <laughs> takes a little break, <laughs> and it's a place where you can you can ad lib. Um, I have found again. Now here's an example of something that is not really. Uh, as clever as it is, as it ends up being funny. When I do the show at regional theaters, I have the program uh, under the under the seat, and I, I take out the program. I'm like, oh, they're doing Sound of Music next, like whatever it is, and that it's not clever, but it's it gets good, a huge though. laugh because it, it's solid. meta and it puts you in the world. Of course. You know? um, also, if anything goes wrong in the first act, I'll open the program. And go, you remember when the window fell off? from the door that was hilarious and they just love the sort of acknowledgement of what they've all 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 seen so good um but uh uh yeah that, that, it's 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 one place where you have have free reign yeah yeah there's one other there's one other thing that i've always added that's my own little little tiny signature mm-hmm. which is you've done this enormous song and you're wrapping it up and towards the end it's like you know, then you ran to Rio and you're safely out of reach. I'm behind these bars, you're banging Ula on the beach. And then I always have them rumble the orchestra. I'm like, and then I had to sing this son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Ah. My favorite little little addition, which I think Mel would, Mel would approve of. That's so good. I yeah. My next question was, when did you first meet him? And what the hell was that like? I met him at the audition. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that I met him, met him, but he was mm-hmm. behind the table. Sure. You know, I, that particular audition was a bit of a breakthrough for me psychologically because I thought, you know, I I could be nervous, but I'm not going to get this job. Mm. But I don't want to miss being in the room with Mel Brooks and being mentally present and really enjoying that. Yeah. And that really calmed me down for the audition because if I was nervous, I wouldn't have really been able to take it in. And I just thought this was the birth of my my of my audition philosophy which is you're not getting the fucking job go have a good time mm-hmm. you know and i made him laugh and that that was oh. like i'm done i'm yep. done mm-hmm. i'm done that's all oh, come on I'm you know very jealous i'm very jealous that's good I mean, that was that was but the most the the, the most um thrilling mel brooks exchange was after i've been on as max for the first time Apparently, word had gotten back to him that it went well, and he was visiting uh, visiting us a, a few weeks later. And he said, he, "You know, Mel always uh, I say he he talks like a dog chewing on a bone, and when he says something nice to you, it sounds like a threat." <laughs> and he grabbed me by the arm. He goes, "I heard, I heard you were going to let that curtain go down. I heard you were good. You were good." And he yelled at me. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
shortly after I left the show, I, I, I ran into him in New York, and he goes, you got to get back in the show. We need you in the show. It's like he yells at you. Love when, he, it. when he loves you, he yells at you. <laughs> that That's the kind of energy that I'm assuming has kept that man alive for as long as it has. Yeah. And it's the same energy that made Sid Caesar hang him out of a window. Um, right. One of that's my right. favorite upsetting stories ever. I have done uh, several productions uh, and directed one production of Laughter on the 23rd Floor, which is mm-hmm. um, about the, the, the writers for the Sid Caesar show, who are, yeah. as you know, Carl Reiner, Mel Brooks, Woody Allen, uh, uh, um, uh, Neil Simon, you know, all these oh, great yeah. people. And mm-hmm. That whole energy of that show. And, and it's so fun to visit that era and see, and sort of imagine what it was like to be in that room with those those maniacs. Yeah, yeah. You know? I uh, I just interviewed. Uh, it was going to be part of this show, but it's going to be an, its own thing because I, I had no real excuse to talk about vinyl. I just wanted to talk about her career. Uh, but uh, sh- uh, one of the actresses from my favorite year, which is holy shit, just one of my movies. I love that movie. I love it so 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 much. A friend of are, mine. Are you going to tell me who it is? Uh, it was Anda Salvo, who you may you may well know from from that, but also uh, Arthur. That which is like my first memory of her. My first memory of movies, just about. I, I love Anna Salva. She's like a, a, a like a classic example of like the, this great, hilarious character actors. Uh-huh. And I just, I, I, I think she's uh, an underrated and underappreciated, uh, uh, just kind of a comedic genius. I really it love her. It was so much fun talking with her because, like, she's also got this career that is fascinating. Because I think she'd acknowledge a lot of times she gets cast to play like you know, somebody's Italian, whatever. Like, she's this Italian lady who gets cast to pay this Italian lady from New York. And, uh, like, uh, the whole story that got her launched was fascinating. And I just really wanted to talk to her about Arthur and, tr- and not trading places. Sorry. Arthur and my favorite year, just because yeah. I love those two movies so much. My favorite year is that's a gem. Mm-hmm. N- another one about this, about the Sid Caesar show without calling it that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's it? Fucking Joseph Bologna as, as King Kaiser. Holy Brilliant. fuck. That is... Uh, Brilliant. And also, like, somebody needs to make a movie about Sid Caesar because there was a period of time where he was King Kaiser, and then he's in Greece and Greece too, and he's just this frail, sweet old man. Yeah, who's just like obviously has learned a lot of life. Also, also very good autobiography. I read his first autobiography. Very good, fascinating. When it was time, when I when I was directing Laughter on the Twenty Third Floor, mm-hmm. I uh, I thought right away of a wonderful, wonderful actor who I had met doing the producers, Nick Santa Maria. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm not even going to audition people. I'm just going to see if Nick wants to do it. Amazing. And Nick is a guy who's sometimes too much for people. They're sometimes telling him to tone down his performance. And I was like, Nick, there's no toning down in this performance. <laughs> and when I offered it to him, he said, this is my dream role. <laughs> and it turned out, and so it, it turned out that Nick was, uh, an aficionado of 1950s uh, TV comedians. That's his passion. That's what he. That's what he knows about. He teaches comedy. He's he's, he's written books on uh, like Abbott and Costello and uh, William Powell. Not the funniest, but you know he's he's. <laughs> this is where, this is where this guy lives. Where he unpacks his bags as you, uh, as and I didn't know this when I cast him. So I felt like a genius. Of course you did. I mean, you know, that's per- uh, I, and honestly looking at him, I'm like, yeah, no, I can see it. I see oh, yeah. this. He lives this in that world. Yeah. That's so He's good. Uh, I love it. Have you, do you feel like you've ever been acting toward a part? Has there ever been one that is perfect for you or one that you feel the most comfortable in? Um, uh, no. 
Uh, okay. Not, not that I not not that I haven't checked off. I mean, I I I in the last couple of years, I finally got to do Edna in Hairspray and Mushnick in Little Shop, and you know, uh, 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 Nathan and Guys and Dolls. I'd like, you know, I've, I've played all these great roles that I love. I've done Forum. Uh, I think for me, there are other other bells I haven't rung. I still don't have a New York stage career. I've done tours, and I've I have practically no New York stage credits. That's a That's big white my big white whale, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's it's 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 not it's not the the roles so much as the venue right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could we conquer it if we did a musical of Moby Dick so it can literally be your white whale and you just play a musical Ahab? I, I'm sure that will be at least as successful as Rocky the musical. I'm yeah, sure it will go really well. I'd watch it. It's just got the thing is the whale has to be as big as that King Kong thing was a couple years that's ago. That's right. That, that's going to be gigantic and animatronic. Yeah, that went uh, well too. That was another one that was a huge hit. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, it looked really cool. I'll say that <laughs> it the, looked neat. The monkey looked cool, but you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't need to play Broadway prices to see a big monkey. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. No. I mean, I, I my my goal is to keep doing what I'm doing. I've been really lucky in terms of the variety of my career. Sure. I I, I still can't believe it, and uh, um, I, I think that's that more than any particular role. I mean. I would like to do um, A Man of La Mancha. I haven't done that yet. Ooh, I'd, like to, I'd sure. like to do Sancho Panza. But I really, and, I, and I've never done Shakespeare professionally, and I would really like to do that. But these are not big, uh, necessarily big, big goals. They're just sort of to be nice if it happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Or that you could stage yourself at some point. Yeah. You never know. Right? Why not? Sure. When we all go to the Kostroff Theater and you get and to And I put just... myself in all the shows. Yeah. I think that's a little, little, little tacky. I'd do it. <laughs> There's no doubt that I would do that. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, okay. So I, first of all, you're a delight to talk to. You're just always funny. Thank you. Um, and so much information. I'm sure there's more I could, I could, I could drill for, but let's leave it here for now. Uh, why God, I guess I have to ask you why watch or listen to the album of the producers. Why give this thing a listen or watch? There, there are a couple of reasons. First of all, um, these men really are geniuses. Uh, but n- now, in terms of the look back, it now has a certain charm to it in terms of almost its flatness. It, I, I don't mean, I, it feels like a, like a it, it's, it was a low budget picture, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's something so charming about that. Mm-hmm. And knowing that it, is, it has this, 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 this storied history and, yeah. and it became the biggest musical ever on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's that's an additional reason on top of the fact that it's it's uh, it's truly funny. And, and by the way, the music is is really nice. The, the, the underscoring really is. is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, but you also get to hear uh, some Mel Brooks compositions that are, are classics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really like the sort of ragtagginess of it. The sort of uh, do you know what I mean? I'm not finding yeah. the right word, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it, this is like I mean. New York movies of a certain era also have a yes. feel to them. And this is one of the things I forgot to mention earlier is I love the, my favorite thing about New York movies is New York character actors, people you yeah. don't see in anything else except something, you know, was shot in New York. That yeah. Boyd's lady, she must've been a New York. Actor. Of course. Come it, on. It, it, it's, you know, just actor after actor putting in these little small parts that are just, mm-hmm. just killer funny. Yeah. 
it feels it never feels i will never say it feels rough i feel like it's a fairly perfect screenplay fairly perfectly put together but i know what you're talking about well like it ends very abruptly oh absolutely and we're done Uh, yeah 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 (laughs) yeah but i something about that that i absolutely love this is one of those moments too where if i remember correctly it was produced i can't remember oh god what's his name either way as mel Brooks always points out he produced all the Hercules Unchained, Hercules in Chains, more chains on Hercules. Like those are the only movies he produced. And then he decides to put some money into a comedy. And this is the one he picked. It'd be like if Roger Corman put money into like some up and coming young comedians movie and it became a cult hit. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's fascinating the weird little things that it took for this to come together. But if it wasn't for this, we wouldn't have the 12 chairs. Um, I think the 12 chairs might've been, but but I feel like it's really like, like Rocky horror in that Uh it's like, it's a cult film. You, you, you you need to see it, and the, mm-hmm. the album is so worth a listen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And it, again, it's one of those we talked about the history of the world version of this album a couple weeks ago. They're, the Young Frankenstein record is also the same. They're fun. There's there's comedy bits. You don't just have to listen to score if you're not a score person. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a lot of that. Um, Michael, thank you very much for doing thank the show. Thank you for having me on. I, I, I love chatting with you, too, and, and this has been uh, wonderfully nostalgic for me as well. So thank you. Do you have anything upcoming to promote or can this wait a while? Because if it's upcoming, I can push this. That's very easy, but... I don't. Okay, well... I'm good. I'm writing a book, but it won't be out for a year. Here here are my books. I have a book called Letters from Backstage that chronicles my time on the road with the producers and Les Mis. I have a book called Audition Psych 101, which is sort of my specialty. It's on the psychology of auditioning. Um, that is now available for the first time as an online course, which I, I recommend, especially if you're if you're a professional actor out, out there in the real world and you deal with what most of us deal with, which is audition anxiety. Mm-hmm. I, I recommend that. And uh, those are my, that class you can find on auditionpsych101.com. The books you can find on Amazon. I, I mean, I, I, I'm the worst at this. I don't even remember what my what my oh my my Twitter is uh, at the real Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know what else. What else do I tell? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I, I'm Michael Kostroff on Facebook. Um, if something else comes up, you can always tell me. I'm happy. Yeah. No. No. I, I, I'm not. I'm not much of a promoter. I just like talking. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm going to have to check out your first book. I'm actually shocked I haven't read it yet. So. I think you'd enjoy it. Oh, it's I, fun. I, I no doubt about it. Uh, yeah, this is very exciting. I'll come back and talk to you about it if you want. Oh, come on, that would be that would be fantastic. Um, yeah. I'm just going to say, what the hell else do I say? I don't know. Uh, you guys go to StolenDress.com. That's where all my other podcasts are. I feel like I should point out I made this Prisoners of Love poster, by the way. It's this is really something good. I made years ago because I'm a I'm a nerd and I like Saul Bass drawings. Um, and uh, I don't know, guys, uh, listen to all my other podcasts. Michael's been on two of my other podcasts, and they were great <laughs> episodes. They were great episodes. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. 
It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15 plus years. Stolen Dress Entertainment. Hey, it's my turn. Ah! <laughs> <laughs>